Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to Talk Water, a Blue Tech research podcast series focused on providing water market intelligence, a place where we discuss new and emerging water technologies, growing markets, and how the future of the water sector is being shaped and changed by the broader mega trend of the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you very much for joining us. And again, a very warm welcome. The industry's interest in decentralized treatment systems has been steadily growing with Frost & Sullivan awarding Fluence Corporation the 2018 Global Decentralized Treatment Company of the Year Award. Fluence is one of the leading global providers of fast-to-deploy decentralized and packaged water solutions. They've achieved significant growth in water technology markets in 2017, including Latin America's food and beverage industry and China's rural wastewater treatment market. We're glad to have Fluence join us at Bluetech Forum this year. And while it offers many advantages, decentralized treatments is in fact still facing issues around monitoring, maintenance and governance. On this month's episode, we'll speak with Jim Hotchkeys, our TAG member, who's going to be hosting a table on this topic, as well as another global company in this area, Nutera, who've also made significant growth in this market. But as usual, before we get started, let's hear from Reese Owen, our research editor on Bluetech's work this month. Hi, Reese. Hope you had a great Easter break. Um, just wanted to Hi. catch up with you about some of the work Bluetech have been doing the last month or so. Um, maybe you can take us through through some of the elements. Sure. Well, this month we published uh, our latest blueprint report, this time looking at issues around stormwater management. Mm-hmm. in the U.S., that's industrial stormwater management. So this is a important area affecting practically every industrial facility in the country, uh, whether it's a, a, a factory, um, a concrete plant, uh, even somewhere with a very big car park like a supermarket. Every facility has to have a stormwater permit to operate, mm-hmm. uh, which entails training, record-keeping inspections, sampling. And this is all based around the contaminants that can be washed off the surface uh, when it rains. Now, a big change is coming in the rules that have been tightened. So, uh, thanks to a lawsuit um, against the EPA, which has been settled, the EPA is now going to be tightening its regulations nationwide to reflect those of the already more stricter rules in Washington and California, where businesses are required to actually take steps to solve the issue of pollution where um, exceedances happen. Okay. So that that will then open up a decent-sized market, I think, for especially things, uh, monitoring software and the the likes of sensors and and maybe even some advanced treatment technologies. Yes, exactly. Um, The sensors will be the biggest winners um, Mm -hmm. in the short to medium term anyway. as sites will have to keep much closer and, and a much more dynamic eye on the levels of different contaminants in water runoff. Um, and in some cases, advanced treatment will be needed where exceedance is happening. Some of the other biggest winners for the moment are actually law firms, where uh, a huge rise in the number of lawsuits against companies is happening, particularly in California, mm-hmm. under the Clean Water Act. Uh, in fact, the number of notices served to companies has gone up by 260% since 2015. 
And there's a forecast that by 2020, some 22% of all industrial facilities in California will have been served with a notice by a combination of environmental groups and law firms under the Clean Water Act, alleging violations of a stormwater permit. Yeah. So this is an absolutely huge, huge issue which will uh, affect companies far beyond California across the whole country. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Even just our audience there, um, a couple of episodes ago, we, we spoke to Ryan Yanok, who's uh, our thought leader behind this. Um, so for those people who want to know more, they can always listen to that episode again. Exactly. And what else have we been doing? We've had a look at DC Water, the uh, utility for uh, Washington, DC. It's a very interesting utility in that it goes far beyond the traditional role of the utility and that they have a growing portfolio of treatment technologies, uh, wastewater treatment technologies, uh, which they license in various ways. And these projects are turning up in wastewater treatment projects far, far beyond the borders of the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about um, demon and indents, particularly. That's right. Many of our audience will be familiar with. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting trend that we've been looking at. We have a review in this month's briefing. We're also looking at uh, another trend for data as a service business models in an article from Paul O'Callaghan, the Bootex CEO. This is uh, exemplified by um, a company called Escan, which is providing river water quality data as part of a contract with a state in Mexico. So the river is being monitored along its length um, through 12 different monitoring stations and the state government of Puebla will be given that information and it's all being done as a data contract. So we discuss whether this is really the start of a digital revolution or whether it's uh, what it's cracked up to be. But it's, it points to an interesting trend. I'm glad you mentioned that, Rhys. In terms of new business models in the water field, I mean, two of the trends you've men- you've just mentioned there, one is data as a service that's been offered by ESCAN. The other is the shift in a, a utilities' role. So moving away from just offering the traditional water and wastewater treatment service, and you mentioned DC Water, PWNT are another that are that are offering this. The other interesting um, trend that we're monitoring in this space is the concept of renting and leasing. So Nyhouse are big in this area. Um, Nyhouse offer lease-based or rental business options that include remote monitoring technologies also. Um, so that's another interesting one. Um, Fathom, of course, have always been have always offered interesting business models. Um, so there are another one there. So again, as you say, you know, a lot of innovation in the technology space, but also a lot of newer concepts in business model. Cambrian Innovation, of course, that's just come to my mind now. Cambrian Innovation offer a water energy purchase agreement or a WIPA model where customers pay for performance on a per gallon basis. Um, again, so we're seeing the bridge between water and energy there. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor the space. Some very interesting movements. Yeah, exactly. There seems to be almost as much creativity around business models as there is around technology at the moment yeah. in some ways. So exactly. That's uh, a new dimension to everything. And what about the membrane 
conference that took place last month in Florida, Reese. Did we did we capture any of the yes, there? We certainly did. As usual, we uh, tried to cover all the main conferences mm-hmm. um, with expert analysis of the papers. So last month, uh, we had the West Palm Beach Conference, the Membrane Technology Conference with AWWA and AMTA. In the run-up to that, uh, we published our top 30 papers to look out for. And we were able to uh, have people attend 21 of those papers and, and review them and give their expert analysis. And that includes our tag experts, Judith Herschel-Cole and, and Michael Nicoley. And we also uh, have a roundup of new company news from, from show floor. So we spoke to various companies, I think 10 companies in all. In terms of what's happening, uh, Water Planet has some of the most news. Uh, some has, has a lot of news, a lot going on. That's right. Yeah. Of course, they they span out Intelliflux last year, the self-adaptive uh, smart membrane monitoring uh, systems, mm-hmm. and recently they also span out Polysera as a separate company. And this is uh, has, they have a new CEO, Simon Marshall. They have. Uh, they closed an initial tranche at uh, 8.7 million Series A financing. Yeah. So they have a lot to uh, a lot to say, a lot to look forward to. Uh, definitely a company to watch. And uh, we have uh, rundowns on nine other companies. So uh, for those interested in digging into uh, some of the most interesting papers and, and our expert the view on them, go to the platform and the key takeaways will be there. Perfect. Thanks very much, Reese. And again, for updates on all of the the elements we've just spoken about they're all captured in our latest intelligence briefing that's that you'll find on our platform so just refer to those thanks very much reese that was great no problem thanks Divya. thanks reese bye Forum 2018 is just around the corner and the theme for the event this year is managing water risk in the circular economy. And to support the discussion on circular economy, we're hosting a number of thought leadership roundtables, of which one of them will look at decentralized water reuse as an enabler for circular economy. So it's great to have Jim, a member of our research group, and Robert, you, of course, as an industrial speaker, your voice in on this would be great to have uh, so you could share your experiences. So. With that, thanks once again, Robert and Jim. Let's get started. So I think the industry in general is accepting of the fact that decentralized treatment is a solution to meet the uh, ever-growing physical and financial infrastructure gap. On one hand, the problem is the rising bill to renovate aging infrastructure, and on the other, in developing economies such as African nations, for example, the gap is mainly in existing physical infrastructure and financing. So I think the drivers are clear. But I want to focus on what technologies will support decentralized water reuse and, and what service models these companies are offering to differentiate themselves. So I want to start with you, Jim, maybe. The idea of decentralized system first came to be because we thought it would be a great solution to the aging infrastructure problem. But in reality, it seems to have found niche applications elsewhere, such as in, in building reuse and in, in small-scale industrial treatment, where the adoption has been a lot faster. Based on your experience, do you think there's a reason to this? I think, yeah, it, it's it's probably uh, a, a realization or, or a, a recognition that uh, decentralized treatment 
is um, it, it's not new. It, it's been around for as long as centralized treatment, if not longer. Uh, we're, we're just starting to realize or recognize that it is a, a really important part of the uh, infrastructure portfolio. If you're starting to look at beneficial reuse, whether it's for um, uh, water recovery, nutrient recovery, fertilizers, metals recovery, energy recovery, it, it's a lot simpler to do that at source in a decentralized facility than uh, at a centralized plant where you have a, a completely mixed uh, wastewater stream and, and much harder to, to separate, separate out the, the valuable products. So I, I think it, it has been around for a long time. The centralized treatment system took over as, as, a, as a benefit to, to health and, and, and to help larger cities grow. What we are seeing in the emerging economies though is as, a, as an interest in, in leapfrogging, leapfrogging from the centralized treatment and, and going to a more decentralized system where you can extract the resources and, and, and realize the benefits of, of um, water reuse, energy recovery and metals recovery, resource recovery. So I do think uh, it's, it's more of an awareness that decentralized is a key part of the infrastructure equation. Perfect. And Bob, I'll bring you in here as well. Um, just based on your experience with Nutera, I mean, we know Nutera has found enormous success in this market and you, you guys offer decentralized solutions to both industrial markets and municipal markets. Where has Nutera found most success? Thanks, thanks, Debbie. It kind of depends how you characterize the difference between industrial and municipal. So uh, I'll just give you our definitions. We don't really compete in the, what you might call the true municipal space, where traditionally the tendency has been to use large um, centralized systems. So we characterize the space we play in as decentralized sewage or decentralized potable water. And that would be things like condominiums, housing developments, hotels, recreational or trailer parks. Uh, remote work camps or, re or remote industrial and mining facilities. Um, basically any sewage or potable opportunity not tied to the centralized municipal grid. On the industrial side, um, we tend to play where a biological solution is required, such as maybe rendering plants or dairies, egg producers, wineries, pulp and paper, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are typically cases where they're not already tied into the city sewers and uh, or they have to meet strict discharge guidelines or they want to reuse the water. Right. Um, as, a, as a company, uh, uh, I think we're finding more success at this particular time in the domestic space, probably 70-30. Probably um, but a lot of that has to do with our Salesforce concentration and the fact that they're, you know, as opposed to maybe back in 2008, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of construction and land development type projects going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, and some of what we do also, and it's directly related to that, is retrofits of older plants, um, either to bring them into compliance or to increase their capacity um, in areas where um, maybe they had a, an RBC or an SBR, and and now we can we can come in and upgrade their their uh, their production capacity because they want to put in a, some more development. Okay. You touched on some interesting things there. Um, I wanted to move to talking a little bit about the market space and, and the technology vendors um, active in that area. There are many companies, uh, large and small, that provide some form of modular 
treatment solution in the market today. And we're hearing a number of things from both uh, from end users and technology vendors. For instance, industrial customers don't want to have to deal with the wastewater problem at all and prefer to hand all their treatment operations to a third party. Um, another trend is a movement into modular water energy nexus type solutions where the customer pays for performance on a per gallon basis. And again, the bridge then between water and, and energy is that the technology provider provides clean energy and clean water back to the customer's facility at its discounted rate to the current utility. So I suppose my question to you, uh, Bob, is from your experience, what is it that technology providers today have to offer to be successful or and to be able to differentiate themselves from their competitors? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, we just did a webinar last week on World Water Day where I, I talked about this a little bit. Um, but in a nutshell, there's some I think there's some key issues that it face the users of decentralized uh, systems or facilities. And, and one of them is the, is the cost of just deployment and engineering, and the other is cost and availability of operation and the maintenance of the systems, especially in the face of a retiring operator workforce, um, which has been recognized as a problem right across the right across the country. So I, I think that a company can address itself, um, uh, differentiate itself by addressing those particular needs in particular. And in, in a lot of cases, I don't actually think it's necessarily technology driven as, as much as service companies can provide. So the first thing I'll, I'll just mention is, is modular facilities. And, and, and I'm, I'm talking about a different um, item than just a package plant. A modular facility is a complete plant completely engineered, or custom engineered for purpose, factory built and tested and delivered ready to go to the customer site. And that, that can be made up of one module or 60 modules, um, uh, tankage, process equipment, labs, offices, sludge treatment, um, some of the things that Jim talked about. Uh, and, and we're finding that those facilities deployed in that manner can save 20 to 40% off the cost of a traditional engineered stick built plant. So that, that kind of addresses the cost base of getting it in, in the, uh, on, on the ground. Um, the second problem uh, can only be addressed with advanced automation and telemetry, um, eventually moving into advanced remote diagnostics and potentially even the AI or artificial intelligence realm. And I think we, we need to be able to provide leverage to the good operators that, that remain and, and to the new operators that will, that will come up through the workforce but are relatively inexperienced. Um, most of these decentralized plants um, will only need operator visits a few times a week. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't constantly churn data in the background and keep the operators and engineers up to date on how the plant's operating, you know, what changes they might have to, to, to make. Um, how their feedstock is changing, what maintenance is required this week, what impact the weather might have. And these are all things that can be built into that information system um, to leverage the, the, the people that are out there. Um, I think another option uh, is to completely take the problem away from the customer by providing water as a service, uh, either on a build on operate basis or pay by the gallon or cubic meter. Um, this is certainly a market that some companies are focused on. Um, and one that we've had success at in some markets, not, not, not all, um, we, we provided equipment to companies that are providing this service um, uh, to their customers, which is a good market for us. Um, but there's also some risk with these solutions, um, a lot of upfront capital investment. Uh, but I think in general, the market and the investors have and are accepting this model more and more. Fantastic. I mean, you mentioned a couple of interesting things there. Solutions that incorporate remote monitoring, data as a service is, is, is of course, a big trend that we're seeing. Um, one other question I had for you was, 
Bluetech did a, a voice of customer study recently um, looking primarily at the food and beverage sector and we spoke to a number of different end users from, from the beer and wine industry to meat processing and dairy and soft drinks and juice manufacturers and we wanted to find out what their thoughts were on the water as a service business model and the response was fairly mixed I should say uh, with some saying it was a matter of risk that the EPA has discharged licenses so unless you know unless the service provider can legally take over responsibility or acquire a separate license to operate from the EPA, the end users, some of them, were not too keen to let a third party take over the operations. And of course, some were more open to, to discussions. So mixed views from end users operating in the same uh, in the same sector. So has Nutera had similar experiences? And if so, what do you tell your customers? Um, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so. Like owning and operating treatment equipment does involve a contract with the government. Usually it's going to be a C of A or a discharge permit. Um, and that typically is held by the owner. Um, we we have, have operated a fleet of rental MBRs in the oil sector. Um, we're not super active there right now just because of where oil is. Um, but around the drilling industry where we actually own the discharge permits and we took care of everything for the customer. Um, but even then, it was still unclear uh, whether this moves the liability from the customer to the contractor. Uh, and some companies, uh, especially oil companies, they, they just like to have control um, over that. Uh, also, many companies are uh, worried about their public image, um, and, uh, and they want to keep tight control over what's discharged uh, from their facility. So for us, it's been kind of a, a hit or miss. We, we work very closely with our customers when they're when they're getting their permit so that we understand it and a lot of times we end up operating those plants um, with our own operators so so we've got our hand in but but honestly typically it's it's going to be in some jurisdictions force it to be um, the actual owner of the property yeah so it's very much uh, so it needs to be dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis as opposed to... pretty well yeah 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 okay well I just want to bring this back to circular economy and, and, and steam for the forum. Um, Jim, when we spoke some weeks ago, you said that if we really want to dig into how you know decentralized wastewater treatment will enable circular economy, we need to go beyond the basic water reuse and look at things like nutrient recovery, um, energy from excess biomass, um, acid and caustic recovery from metals. Um, so. All are obviously much easier accomplished in a decentralized operation. So, are there some examples of that that you can share with us? Hmm. Yeah. No, I think there are some excellent examples. And, and to touch back on some of the previous points, I think part of the um, the argument or, or, or the the rationale for moving in this direction is if we can start to put a value on on wastewater. So it's it's really not wastewater. It, it's a resource that we can we can mine and, and, and valorize. I, I, an excellent example that's just being commissioned um, in uh, upstate New York is a, uh, is a cheese processing facility for, for a large uh, dairy operation. It's about 1,000 cubic meters per day, or roughly quarter MGD. And uh, it's, it's wastewater from cheese processing. This facility uh, has a organics capture system at the front end of the plant, mm -hmm. and then it goes into a, uh, a multiple membrane process. The, the system um, is completely energy neutral and, and water neutral. 
for the for the client, it, it's not only uh, an excellent uh, mechanism to recover resources, in this case organics, turn it back into energy, but it also is a very uh, sustainable venture that um, they can use to, to help improve public image, public uh, relations, etc. What we're seeing in the craft beer industry across North America is um, understanding that if you can do source separation, for example, pull out the spent grains, spent yeasts, etc., you can reduce the, the, the BOD load going to wastewater by up to four times. And, and also, you're not only just saving on, on the, um, the energy required to do wastewater treatment, but you're also creating a product that can be used as an animal feed and, and go back into the circular economy. This is, is something that has been going on for many years. In, in That's very true. It's great to see some great to see examples like that. Um, well, great. Thank you very much, Jim and, and, and Bob. Uh, Jim, we look forward to, to seeing you at the forum, and, and Bob, you too, will hope to see both of you at the decentralized table. Thank you very much for your time. For sure. Thanks, Divya. Hey, you're very welcome.